From the Museum of Science Boston, this is Pulsar, a podcast where we answer questions from you, our audience. I'm your host, Eric O'Day. And for today's episode, we'll be answering some of the amazing questions we've gotten from our listeners about birds. Our guest today is Sue Stessel, who has been an educator at the Museum of Science for over three decades. Sue, thanks so much for coming on our podcast. Thank you, Eric. So our first question is from Maximilian. What is the fastest bird? So the fastest bird is actually the peregrine falcon. I think that's really awesome because we have peregrine falcons right here in Boston. If Maximilian is from the area, pretty much all over the United States. And they have a reputation for being able to hit about 240 miles an hour in a power dive. Peregrine falcons are known for knocking their prey out of the air. So what they would do is fly up very, very, very high and use their awesome raptor vision to spot birds well below them in the air where the birds can't even see them. Then they tuck their wings and they use gravity to just accelerate their bodies up to that speed. And normally they'll just whack right into their prey. Might be a pigeon, something like that. A bird will never know what hit them. 240 miles an hour. That's so fast. So our next question is from Andrew, who asks, what is the largest bird ever? The largest bird ever. So for that, we might have to go to the fossil record. And as little as four or 500 years ago, it would have been a bird that was still around that humans would have been interacted with. It was the elephant bird, which was found in Madagascar. So they could grow up to 10 feet tall and weighed about a ton. They look basically like today's ostrich, but much bulkier and heavier. And if you saw them, you'd probably be pretty afraid. And they may have been the source of the legend of the rock, which was the mythical bird of a great size that often shows up in some of the folklore from that long ago. And they, however, were pretty unassuming. Most scientists think they were just herbivores. They ate plants. Maybe someone finding some bones or fossils and thinking this huge bird must have been flying through the sky. And in truth, it couldn't even fly. Nope, it was a totally flightless bird. And they think humans may have had a hand in hunting it to extinction because they did share the planet with this bird. So Sarah asks, I saw smaller birds attacking a hawk. Why would they do that? That is a pretty cool observation, Sarah. That is something that we call mobbing. There's various versions of that, but when you see a bird that seems to be flying along or sitting in a tree minding its own business, and then you see a whole bunch of birds, could be different species, all hanging out together, grackles, jays, crows, especially the social birds tend to do this. They don't like having predators in the neighborhood. Hawks, of course, will prey on adult crows and jays and other birds. During the nesting season, crows will grab baby birds from the nest. So most birds are not very happy when a bird that's a predator will show up in the neighborhood. So they want to drive it away. So when you see a whole bunch of birds squawking and hissing and flapping and jumping at a bird of prey like a hawk, they are trying to convince it to move out of their territory. And so that's something that isn't that uncommon that you might be able to see in your neighborhood from time to time? Absolutely. And it's a great way to reveal a bird of prey in your neighborhood. So many times these birds, when they're perching in particular in a tree, can be very camouflaged, beautiful feathers that will blend into their environment. So these mobbing birds who are trying to drive the bird of prey away will alert you to the fact there's a bird of prey nearby. So you might be able to see all kinds of really cool hawks or falcons. And sometimes that will reveal where owls are because they can be very hard to spot as well. So Maria wants to know, how do birds communicate? 
A lot of different ways, Maria. That's a very good question as well. Of course, you probably already figured out that the singing is a big thing. And at one time, believe it or not, scientists believed it was only the male birds that sing, but it turns out that a lot of female birds sing as well. So that's usually to define borders, stake out your territory for birds, especially in the spring. They'll fly to different spots in an area they want to claim as their territory and sing at those borders. And every other bird of their species and sometimes other species recognize that these are areas that are being claimed by this particular bird, and birds are pretty good about defining their borders. It also will attract a mate if you have a hearty song with a lot of variety and a lot of volume. You tend to get the other birds interested in you, other uh, females. And other things they use these sounds for because they use a lot of calls other than songs is contact calls. So, hi honey, I'm home. Or begging calls from the babies, which are like gimme, 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 gimme's and calls where they're alarming. So there's a predator in the area and they'll call and make a very short, sharp, raspy call to let other birds in the area know that there's a predator around. So we can use all of those calls to know what's going on in the environment around us. If you hear some of those varieties of calls, you know what kind of talking is going on. However, birds can communicate other ways as well. They can use their feathers to demonstrate different moods that they're in. For example, owls that have the little ear tufts on their heads like great horned owls or the little screech owls that both live in the New England area. They will raise and lower those little feathered tufts to show that they're in a good or bad mood. For example, if your cat flattens its ears, you know what that means, your cat is not real happy. Same thing with great horned owls. And for example, for birds like birds of paradise or bower birds, they will take their feathers and wriggle them as a display also to attract mates and the feathers themselves actually communicate things among birds. If you have very beautiful colors, you're considered a much healthier specimen than other birds. And if you have iridescent colors, the colors that are caused by structural differences in the feathers, that takes even more of your energy. So if you have iridescent colors that are very vivid, prospective mate is gonna know that you are really the one that they wanna pick. So not just showing off, but actually saying, I am a fit bird. Exactly. So speaking of feathers, Henry wants to know, do birds adapt their feathers to habitat and climate just like their feet and their beaks? Absolutely. So if you live in a very different habitat, you're going to need feathers that are a little bit different. Think about penguins living in the water. They actually have very waxy feathers that are flat, look very different than the feathers of birds that can fly. And underneath, they've got a very thick coat of down feathers. Down feathers are like the bird's long underwear. Same for birds that live in the Arctic. The snowy owl spends a lot of time up near the Arctic Circle. It has very thick layer of downy feathers underneath its flight feathers. And if you notice in some of these birds that live in very cold climates, the feathers will cover all the way down to the tips of their toes, cover their legs and right up to their beaks so that you can barely see their beaks. Also, they will adapt to the colors and patterns in their environment. For example, right here in New England with little screech owls, they have what we call red phase and gray phase screech owls. So screech owls that live in those environments, red phase will live in environments where they have a lot of fir trees, red bark trees, 
And ones that are gray phase or brownish will tend to live in places where there's a lot of deciduous trees with brownish bark. So it helps them blend in in those slightly different habitats, even though they're the exact same species, their feathers will be a little different. All right, Sue, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge about birds with our listeners. You're welcome, Eric. I had a lot of fun. There's nothing I'd rather talk about. If you'd like to have one of your questions answered by a visiting expert or a Museum of Science educator, you can email them to sciencequestions at mos.org. If you enjoyed this episode of Pulsar, don't forget to subscribe on the Apple Podcast app or on Spotify, as well as leaving a rating or review for us. Please visit mos.org slash science matters to support MOS at home. That's it for this episode of Pulsar. Join us again soon.